I have received a deluge of requests for information, uh, particular and general inquiries, and uh, a number of very heartfelt and strong uh, opinions uh, of varying quality, uh, as well as a number of bad takes with regards to the recent uh, decision in Turkey to uh, start reusing the Hagia Sophia as a, uh, as a masjid. The Hagia Sophia, uh, the Hagia Sophia, the cathedral church of the uh, holy or sacred wisdom, which was built in the sixth century by the Byzantine Roman Emperor Justinian, uh, not only as a cathedral church, but as a mark of the uh, greatness of his state. It's really an impressive building, especially for how early it was built. Uh, that church was uh, the first place uh, that the Jum'ah Masjid, the Jum'ah prayer, I should say, was established in Istanbul uh, after uh, the conquest of Istanbul by Sultan Muhammad Fatih, uh, Muhammad II, uh, who uh, his victory was prophesied by the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in a hadith which is recorded in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed, uh, which is beautifully uh, displayed at his mazar uh, at the Fatih Masjid, uh, which was itself also originally the Church of the Holy Apostles uh, that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, that a day will come when uh, Constantinople will be conquered and uh, what a wonderful uh, commander will that commander be and what a wonderful army will that army be uh, and uh, so I guess there's a lot of people who seem to have a problem with uh, first the uh, use of that uh, place as a masjid and uh, secondly with the restoration to its use as a masjid uh, because when Ataturk uh, took over uh, uh, Turkey and abolished the caliphate and uh, very rapidly secularized uh, the, uh, the, the government uh, of Turkey and took it from a pluralistic uh, rule based on the values of Islam to uh, a very aggressive uh, type of nationalism. Uh, he turned that uh, symbol of the uh, conquest of Islam uh, over uh, Constantinople into, uh, into a museum. And so, you know, there's a number of, I guess, discomforts that people have and a number of hang-ups that people have with regards to this entire uh, with regards to this entire matter. Um, so let's just start from the beginning. Uh, why are Muslims fighting with Byzantine Romans anyway? And uh, one can very definitively and squarely say 
uh, that the, uh, the Byzantines were the ones who started it. And when did they start it? Uh, not with the Ottomans, not with the Seljuks, not with the Abbasis or with the Banu Umayyah, not even with the Khulafa Rashidun, rather with the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself. Uh, that when news of uh, his Bi'atha uh, Mubarakah and his ascendancy in Medina Munawwara uh, and in the Arabian Peninsula came, uh, uh, then uh, there was actually an army that was sent to the Arabian Peninsula from the Byzantine Romans to check uh, the rise of Islam. And uh, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, sent an army to engage them. And a very well-known battle from the Syria occurred at that uh, that time. It's called the Battle of Mu'ta, um, in which uh, three very prominent uh, companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam were martyred in a pitched battle in order to uh, block the uh, Byzantine army from entering uh, the Arabian Peninsula and entering Hijaz, uh, namely Sayyidina Zayd bin Haritha radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, who was in Jahiliyyah, the adopted son of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was martyred in that battle, uh, and he was the closest uh, person to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, one of the first people to accept Islam. And uh, had uh, it been in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa taala that he uh, uh, outlived the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, I don't think it's far fetched to say that uh, he would have been uh, in the order of the, the Khilafah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, and then after him, Sayyidina uh, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, the full brother of Ali ibn Talib, who was nicknamed Ja'far al-Tayyar, because people saw in visions after his martyrdom, him flying through the ranks, uh, ascending through the ranks uh, in Jannah. Uh, and then after him, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Rawaha, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. And uh, this was, interestingly enough, the first time that Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid, who was a relatively new convert at the time, took command uh, uh, of the Muslim army and uh, uh, through uh, a story that you can f familiarize yourself with through the Sirah, um, they were able to essentially convince the Romans that their army was far larger than it was uh, in order for them to prudently uh, choose to uh, not advance and to go back. And uh, the uh, subsequent round two during the life of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, of this conflict was the Battle of Tabuk, uh, or I should say the Ghazwa of Tabuk, because there was no battle. Uh, but uh, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, took an army uh, which was the most well equipped uh, army that uh, the Muslims uh, to date ever were able to marshal, and uh, they marched uh, in a you know, in a chapter from the life of the Prophet وسلم, much of which is uh, uh, mentioned and dealt with in Surah Tawbah, the very important chapter of the life of the Prophet وسلم, uh, and so it starts from then, and then through the ages of the Khulafa Rashidun, and through the uh, ages of all the successive dynasties that rule the Muslims, uh, there is one clash after the other uh, between the Muslims and between the uh, between the. Uh, Byzantine Romans and interestingly enough uh, you know many Muslims lament sectarian bickering and civil war and when they read about the companions of the Allah and their fitna that they had between them they oftentimes will uh, uh, lament and make comments about things really that they shouldn't make comments about but it's recorded in history that the Byzantine uh, uh, Romans actually offered Sayyidina Muawiyah that we will ally with you against Ali 
and Karamallahu Wajhahu Alayhi Salam will ally with you against Ali. And uh, uh, Sayyidina Muawiyah who famously responded to them to the effect that Ali is my cousin and this is my, these are our internal matters between the two of us. And if you ever bring this uh, idea up again that somehow uh, I'm going to involve you in my fight against him or in my dispute against him, I said that I will immediately cancel all uh, uh, outstanding uh, disagreement with him and the, and, and the two of us will essentially team up and uh, show up at your door. Uh, so just don't ever bring this up again. Uh, and so this was a, a, an issue that transcended uh, any sort of uh, any sort of sectarian or political uh, bickering, uh, because it was understood by all of them that the, the, the Byzantines basically had it out for the Muslims from from day one, uh, and that's how empire functions. And so this will, in every age successively and through every dynasty, this conflict will stay alive. Uh, through the Crusades, uh, the uh, Byzantines will initially um, see the armies of the Western Christians as uh, being some, uh, some sort of aid and support against the Muslims. Uh, they will rapidly regret that because the Crusaders at some point will actually end up sacking Istanbul or Constantinople, we should say, um, to be historically accurate. And um, it's just a really long, twisted and messed up saga, uh, which culminates in the the, the conquest by Sultan Muhammad Fatih, uh, Muhammad II, uh, of Istanbul in the year uh, 1453 of the Common Era. And um, now that we have established that this is a very old uh, dispute and feud that really had to come to some sort of uh, conclusion one way or the other, um, we now come to the issue of what should have been done with the with the cathedral church of Hagia Sophia and because there are people at different levels of understanding uh, from those who claim uh, to be representing Islam and Muslims we will then thoroughly uh, you know take uh, a number of uh, avenues in order to uh, explore whether or not its original uh, conversion into a masjid was proper or not. And so first off from the uh, perspective of somebody who believes in Islam uh, and somebody who believes in the Sharia and somebody who believes in the, uh, the codification of the Sharia through the centuries, um, we look that, uh, you know, because there are people who say, well, look, you know, Sayyidina Umar anhu, uh, you know, when Jerusalem was conquered, he didn't make the churches into masajid. Rather, he respected them as churches, and it's very well known about Sayyidina Umar who that when it was time for his Salat, uh, the, the Patriarchy of Jerusalem actually offered him to pray his Salat in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and he uh, purposely, uh, uh, in his sagacity, chose not to pray inside the church because he said, the Muslims will come afterward because I prayed here, they'll turn it into a masjid. And so he went uh, to another place and prayed, and that that masjid actually became a masjid. Masjid Omar is a masjid in uh, um, in Jerusalem, and it's actually inside the Christian quarter. It's a beautiful masjid, a very spiritual place. It goes down into the earth, much like the uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa does. And uh, so we say, well, this is what Islam really is. And uh, look, if you believe in Islam and you believe in the supremacy of the Sharia, 
supremacy not meaning like beat down everybody else but that this is revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's revealed by God it's a divinely revealed religion and uh, its teachings uh, uh, carry a spirituality and, and a, uh, a, a, a reality that transcends mundane things um, then within that channel there are two avenues that a person can take one is that you believe in the uh, codification of the Sharia that was given by our Mashaikh and our elders uh, and so the ruling, uh, the ruling interpretation of the Sharia, which uh, was upheld by most of the uh, most of the states throughout the history of Islam, uh, including the Hanafi, uh, sorry, including the uh, Ottoman state, is the Madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa, the Hanafi Madhab. So let's look at what the uh, uh, you know what the treatment of this uh, issue is in the Hanafi Madhab. So we read from Badar Sanaya Fi Tartib al-Sharaya, a canonical uh, work from which the fatwa of the Hanafi Madhab is taken. The relevant text: "Wakulu Misrin min Amsar al-Mushrikin vahara alayhi al-Imamu anwatan jalahum zimmatan fama kana fihi kanisa qadima manahum mina salati fi tilk al-Kanais." لأنه لما فتح عنوة فقد استحقه المسلمون فيمنعهم من الصلاة فيها ويأمرهم أن يتخذوها مساكن ولا ينبغي أن يهدمها. And so he mentions he mentions here he says that every uh, every metropolis from the metropoli of the uh, of the polytheists here the word polytheist is used as a um, a cognate for for a person of that person who's not a Muslim, uh, that the Muslims uh, their uh, ascendancy and suzerainty uh, is established uh, uh, therein by the Imam of the Muslims. Here, the Imam doesn't mean the prayer leader, but the political leader of the Muslims. Anwata, meaning it was like a pitched battle. There was no surrender. There was no terms. There was no ceasefire. There was no sulh or treaty. Um, rather, uh, uh, purely through the use of force, um, the people who are conquered, uh, they will uh, they will receive the status of dhimma. They will become subjects of the state, uh, non-Muslim subjects of the state, uh, who if they practice a religion which is uh, has its origins in revelation, then they will be allowed to keep uh, keep their religion uh, and uh, will pay a poll tax. Uh, uh, in order to receive the rights of the citizen of a state that is Muslim um, and uh, because of their poll tax obviously they'll be exempted from religious obligations like paying zakat and, and other things there uh, like that um, and whatever uh, whatever uh, places of worship um, ancient or old places of worship that are there um, they forfeit the right to uh, to those places and to gather in those places for worship because of the fact that they did not, uh, they did not pursue terms when they were offered, um, uh, and uh, it was only through uh, conquest that uh, their, uh, you know, their lands were subdued, and so their uh, public places of worship then uh, will belong to the Muslims, uh, and they have the right there thereafter to uh, restrict them from worshiping in them. Although uh, uh, Kasani, uh, he mentions uh, in his Badar Sanaya that it's not proper that such places should be destroyed. Uh, uh, rather, uh, if he wishes to, he can 
turn it into uh, like residential uh, property or something like that. Uh, but the point is, is that they forfeit the right to those uh, places of worship. Uh, we see in other other texts, this is Muhid al-Burhani, فَأَمَّا الْكَنَائِسِ الْقَدِيمَةِ وَالْبِيَعُ الْقَدِيمَةِ فِي الْأَمْصَارِ وَالْقُرَى ذُكِرَ فِي عَمَّةِ الْكُتُبِ أَنَّهَا تُتْرَكُ عَلَى حَالِهَا وَلَا تُنْقَضُ وفي كتاب العشر والخراج من الأصل يشير إلى أنها تهدم وهو قول الحسن والصحيح ما ذكر في عامة الروايات وهذه الروايات فيها إذا ظهر الإمام عليهم عنوة وقهرا فأما إذا وقع الصلح بينهم وبين الإمام فالكنائس والبيع تترك على حالها ولا يعترض عليها باتفاق الروايات So he essentially mentions, mentions the same thing that uh, um, those places that are conquered by, by force uh, uh, and the uh, people are not, they don't accept the, uh, the, the terms of surrender or of truce, um, then there's a difference of opinion whether or not uh, uh, the Muslims should, or should not should, but have the right to destroy those buildings or not. And so he mentions that they really, they shouldn't be destroyed. Uh, however, they lose the right to those. Uh, they lose the right to those buildings, um, as opposed to when there's sulh. And this is another thing people, uh, you know, people should remember that we are obliged as Muslims. We're obliged to uh, uh, buy the Sharia, uh, even if there is conflagration. Like, look, this ancient war that was essentially started by the Byzantines against the Arabs and against the Muslims from the time of the Prophet sallallahu himself. Um, it's very clear that that, 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 that that war will have to come to some con conclusion or another because the Romans are not known to just like let people live, you know, to pursue the live and let live uh, philosophy. Uh, people can accuse the Muslims of that as well, but the Romans are not the people who are like in the moral high ground uh, with regards to that accusation. They say people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Uh, so it was, you know, politically, uh, it should be understood by anyone who has common sense that 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 uh, conflagration was going to have to come to some sort of conclusion or another. However, Muslims, as Muslims, we're ritually obliged to offer terms of surrender to, uh, to when I say we, I'm not talking about me, I'm sitting in Brook Park, Ohio right now. Um, I don't offer terms of surrender because I'm not fighting wars against anyone. But the Muslim polity, uh, so sovereign polity of the Muslims, whatever polity it is, if they are fighting a war and the war is just, even if they have the upper hand in terms of their, uh, in terms of the military uh, capabilities, we're ritually, they are ritually, we as Muslims, but they as uh, sovereign polity are ritually obliged to offer terms of surrender. Um, and if those terms are accepted, not to fight, not to take places by force. And so uh, what happens is uh, if those terms which are offered uh, by necessity, if they are not accepted, then thereafter uh, 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 there is no obligation to uh, uh, there is no obligation to keep the uh, usage of these places of worship for those communities, as opposed to if those uh, terms are accepted, then there is again a ritual obligation that we have to allow them to uh, uh, keep their places of worship until or unless they uh, in negotiation of surrender uh, voluntarily uh, forego those rights for some other uh, uh, right uh, in its place. 
Uh, and so that is uh, that is clear. And this clears up the misconception that people have that Sayyidina Umar he, um, he kept the sanctity of the churches of Jerusalem. Why did he keep the sanctity of the churches of Jerusalem? The reason he kept the sanctity of the churches of Jerusalem was because the patriarch, the Orthodox Patriarchy of Jerusalem, negotiated terms of surrender. The Muslims didn't fight for Jerusalem, rather they were voluntarily, it surrendered itself to the army of Sayyidina Umar and one of the terms of the surrender was that Sayyidina Umar has to come and accept the surrender himself personally. So he actually went from Medina Munawwara on a donkey uh, with one servant, the two of them travel and it's very famous that when he, uh, you know, he would take turns that one day uh, the, the, the he would ride and one day the servant would ride and the day that they arrived in Jerusalem, the servant, it was his turn to ride. And so um, they thought that the servant was the Khalifa and it wasn't. Um, and then all of the other things that happened thereafter, um, they're all within the context of what? They're in the context of, uh, of sulh, of, of, of Jerusalem being surrendered voluntarily upon the terms that were um, ritually obliged upon us by Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as an Ummah and upon them as a sovereign polity. Uh, and so that's that's the difference between the two. And uh, so if you uh, believe in the Sharia and you accept the authority of Fiqh, uh, this is what the Hanafi Madhab says and this is what the Madhab say in general, right? The Durul Muhtar. Al again a canonical work of uh, of Hanafi fiqh um, that uh, that he says that the that the types of metropoli uh, uh, and lands are then three uh, 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 he says the one that is established by the Muslims like Kufa, like Basra, like Baghdad, like Wasit there were cities that were built from the ground up by the Muslims he says that it's not permissible to have any uh, uh, places of worship uh, uh, other than those of Islam in those places the Muslims build their own places they're not there to build the places of worship for uh, other uh, for other religions uh, and Islam has an exclusivity, uh, uh, you know, it has an exclusive claim to truth like many other religions have. And, uh, you know, one of the unique things about Islam is that we could negotiate having an exclusive truth claim while having systems in place to get along with other people who also have a mutually exclusive truth claim. That we say that the Day of Judgment, when we meet the Lord, we'll find out who's on truth. Until then, we don't have to fight and kill each other. We have ways of getting along. But that doesn't mean that we forego our, 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 the exclusivity, exclusivity of our truth claim. And so if the Muslims build their own city, then it should be natural to understand that they would only build in those cities that they built uh, places for worship uh, of Islam and not for other, other religions that, that, that we consider uh, not to be on the path of guidance. Even if some of them have origins uh, in guidance, uh, but they've strayed from that path. So uh, that's the first type of that's the first type of metropolis, and he says this the the he, he says he says that it's not permissible to have any places of worship for other religions like that, and he says like those cities uh, are uh, those cities that are uh, that are conquered um, through force, meaning that there's a war between the Muslims and another place, and the other place doesn't accept the terms of treaty 
rather they force uh, they force the uh, uh, the war to come to a conclusion through 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 fighting and through uh, uh, violence. And uh, in such a case, um, then those places, if they're conquered, then they then take the same ruling as those cities that were uh, built from the ground up by the Muslims. And as for those places that uh, are conquered through through treaty or through truce, uh, those truce, truces that we're obliged as Muslims to offer people, not we as in me, but Muslims, their polities are obliged to offer to people. Um, فإن وقع على أن الأرض لهم جاز الإحداث وإلا فلا إلا إذا شرط الإحداث. And so he he mentions that he says that uh, he mentions that that in those places not only can they keep their places of worship they can also uh, have uh, have other new places of worship. Dur um, al-Mukhtar in another place, right? Ibn Abidin. As for the places of worship that were there before the Muslims uh, uh, attained suzerainty over those lands, as for those that are conquered, uh, uh, conquered through war, um, uh, they can be left and they can be used as places of residence, but they're not used as places of worship. Uh, and for those places that are uh, that come into the uh, into the fold of uh, the Muslim polity through treaty and truce, which again we're ritually obliged to offer, uh, then they can stay as places of worship for the people who uh, who worship there from before. Uh, 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 and so he says he says that this is the opinion that's there in the Bahr. Bahru Raiq, I'm assuming. Khilaf al Limaf fi Qohistani Fatanabah. So pay attention. And so a little bit lower in the Ibarra, uh, he mentions Qohistani's Qol. Uh, uh, he says, uh, he says uh, the Qol of Qohistani is what? A. Anitatimati min annaha fi sulhiya tuhdamu. Uh, so Qohistani actually mentions a harsher opinion, but we're not going to go with that opinion. Uh, rather, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to go with the uh, the more lenient of the two. Uh, if not for any other reason, I mean, it is arjah. It is actually the more proper opinion, but also uh, there's no need to resort to the harsher opinion in order to make our points. So the point is, is what uh, Constantinople uh, did not accede to the Ottomans' uh, 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 demand for sulh and surrender. Rather, it was one of the most spectacular sieges and one of the most uh, spectacular conquests in the history of the world, uh, in the history of human beings. And there's an entire set of uh, stories with regards to that. Some are historical, some are folkloric, some are legends. Uh, and if anyone has seen the walls of that city, know that whatever happened, it must have been really big. Uh, uh, and, and so when the Muslims conquered it, uh, Sultan Muhammad Fatih, by the right of the Sharia, according to the canonical interpretation of the Hanafi fiqh, of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in general, and in particular the Hanafi fiqh, he had the right to take that uh, to take that place and do whatever he wanted to with it. And this claim that this is uh, un-Islamic or whatever, we have, a, 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 unfortunately, the, the president and former general secretary of uh, ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America, uh, made a statement which I'm later told that uh, it wasn't an official 
a statement by Isna, rather he just kind of went rogue and, and said it on his own. Um, he mentions uh, he mentions wrongly, uh, out of place, the uh, practice of the Prophet and his rightly guided caliphs, um, uh, and uh, he said that according to that, uh, um, the holy places of other uh, religions are to be uh, are to be uh, respected, which in some condition is true, but this is saying uh, something that is not in its place, it's out of place. And unfortunately, there are many people who are uh, abjectly untrained in, in, in the understanding of the Sharia, but they feel uh, happy, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, and comfortable just talking about stuff, just basically making things up. And, uh, um, uh, and so he mentions that, uh, uh, um, that the act of restoring that masjid to its masjid status once a masjid, always a masjid, that's the way waqf works. He says, it is unfortunate that such an act is not giving glory to Islam, which strongly forbids Muslims from such a sacrilegious act. So he essentially calls keeping that masjid a masjid uh, a blasphemy, which is, it's just, it's just patently ridiculous. I mean, it's embarrassing to be honest with you. Uh, uh, if anyone has any uh, strings to pull with Isna, he should apologize for this. And not only did he make this statement out of place, but he, uh, 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 he, what he spoke was wrong, and uh, he said the wrong thing. He said it in the wrong way without making mashra with his with his shura council, and uh, strangely enough, it it's ended up making the rounds on the uh, uh, on the website of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, uh, 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 just in a way to just take pot shots at the Muslims. And, uh, you know, the Orthodox Archdiocese of America, um, you know, uh, let's just say that they're not, you know, they haven't reciprocated any sort of concern for uh, Muslims, uh, not only in Greece and their places of worship in Greece, but in general, uh, you know, this being the, uh, you know, close to the uh, anniversary of the massacre in Srebrenica, which was also something that happened at the hands of the Orthodox Church it's just it's just shameful it's just shameful for for him to uh, bend the Dean backwards and pander in such a bizarre way to people who obviously uh, don't have much concern for the Muslims um, at any rate so uh, as uh, us being in America and Americans don't like us accepting authority there are many people who say well who cares about the Hanafi Madhab? You know, we don't. We don't. The Ibarat of the Badar Sanai are not the Quran, and they're not the Hadith of the Prophet You know, Sayyidina Omar upheld the places of worship of, uh, of of the Christians. Therefore, every Muslim has to uphold the the sanctity of the places of worship of every other religion uh, universally. Well, the Prophet wasallam he conquered Makkah Mukarramah, and he uh, destroyed the idols of the Mushrikeen. And people say, well, there's no uh, precedent of Muslims uh, um, destroying the uh, uh, the places of worship of other people. They say, well, the Kaaba was originally of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, and so that's okay. Well, the Prophet also sent Sayyidina Khalid bin Walid to the Temple of Lat, uh, 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 I believe in Ta'if, and uh, it was destroyed as well. Uh, although they were offered the opportunity to destroy it with their own hands and their superstition forbade them from doing so. Um, but it was, all of these temples were destroyed in the Arabian Peninsula. Someone might say, well, you know, that's special for the, uh, the places of worship of the Arab Mushrikeen. They, they don't follow the, 
the, the same ruling of the Christians and Jews. Well, you don't believe in fiqh in the first place, so uh, go ahead and prove what the difference is and make your own madhab and, and, and establish all of that. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise the uh, um, you know, there is precedent for those things. And what what is the difference between the, the, the what is the difference between the two? The difference between the two is there's a difference between those people who accept uh, those people who accept uh, terms uh, versus those people who uh, force a type of total war that has to end in, in complete victory based on violence and not based on truce because the sunnah is always to do things the easy way rather than to do them the, the hard way. Uh, then this brings us to uh, those people who are humanists and they don't, uh, they're saying, well, we're Muslims culturally. I mean, they may not say this openly, but uh, you know, the subtext is, is very clear for people that we're Muslims culturally, but all of this Islam supremacy, we don't subscribe to all that. Maybe we just don't eat pork and we celebrate Eid and we like to eat samosas in Ramadan or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not trying to make a, a sincere and a, uh, a real effort to actually implement Islam in our lives. But, uh, you know, we're not concerned with any of that, but we want to keep our cultural identity or our, what our quasi-ethnic identity as Muslims. And on that basis, we are embarrassed in front of people of other faiths. You know, why is this thing, uh, become, you know, being used again as a masjid after it was a museum? Because it, it embarrasses us in front, of, in front of those people. And this attitude is bankrupt, even according to humanist values. Why? What is what is like the the, 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 the like most basic morality of humanism? Uh, I think actually it's not even this. Uh, it's just the law of the jungle. But even humanists who argue, atheists who argue that being an atheist or being a humanist is not fundamentally a carte blanche to be an immoral person, they'll say, well, you know, uh, um, they'll say they'll say something like, you know, the golden rule is what defines uh, our our morality do unto others as you would like to have done to yourself so why is it that all of these uh, all of these people you know have whether they're Muslims or non-Muslims really doesn't matter why is it all of them have this like strange outrage about this one place which was used as a place of worship by the Muslims uh, you know since the conquest of, 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 of Constantinople and they're completely blank when it comes to all of the Muslim places of worship in Greece, in Bulgaria, in Romania, in uh, Serbia, right, in Croatia, in all of these places that were destroyed. A number of those places of worship, one can make the argument that the Muslims built the masjid over the ruins of another church, but there are a number of places of worship that weren't like that. But nobody cares. Nobody cares. There are masajid in Palestine that have been turned into bars. Nobody says anything about that. There are masajid in, 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 in Turkestan, in China, uh, in, like politically under the suzerainty of China, but in East Turkestan, um, where the Uyghur uh, people live. Literally in front of our eyes, they're being turned into bars. There are masajid and graveyards of the Muslims in, 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 in Palestine. You can call it Israel if you want. Call it whatever you want. A rose by any other name, right? They're being turned into they're being turned into bars. They're being turned into parking lots. They're being turned into all sorts of stuff right in front of our eyes, 
Nobody says anything about them. I haven't seen Sayyid Saeed go rogue, the president of Isna go rogue and make a, you know, feel so passionate about this that I have to make a statement um, without even consulting with the other members of the Shura Council uh, with regards to any of these things. They don't care. Srebrenica, they don't care. They, the, or, the, the Orthodox Patriarchate, are they going to make such a big fuss about it? No. They're not going to. And this, uh, you know, uh, this type of bankruptcy, which is what, when it comes to when it comes to our humanity, we're going to make a big fuss about it. And when it comes to the, another person's humanity, or when it comes to another person's rights, or another person's culture, or another person's religion, you know, we're going to disrespect it. The fun part is, even from the point of humanism, one of the interesting things, right, is that the you know, a reason that the golden rule is so important, right? Even to people, it can be appreciated even by people who don't um, who don't believe in any any sort of higher power. The reason is, as a human being, we are psychologically wired to see ourselves in other people. This is why, you know, when you see another person being tortured, when you see them being beaten, when you see them being disrespected, you feel pain inside of your heart. Why? Because you identify with that person. You say that that person is like me. In fact genocide and torture and rape and all these horrible things human beings can't bring themselves to do them violence they can't bring themselves to do them and so the architects of genocide always have to dehumanize the other person in order to get people to in order to get people to subscribe to such uh, violent and such uh, horrible behavior man forget about forget about dehumanization a human being doesn't even like to see an animal being slaughtered you don't even like seeing a chicken being slaughtered you don't even like seeing a a cow uh, uh, being slaughtered. You don't even like seeing a goat being slaughtered. It causes you pain. Why? Because you see yourself in that other living thing. And so if people don't have even that much inside of them, forget about humanism, they don't even have mammalism or vertebrateism inside of them, then how morally bankrupt is it for us to join on the bandwagon? And what benefit do you think an alliance with such people is going to be? And the fun part is, is this, forget about the Hagia Sophia, every masjid in Turkey, every masjid in Turkey, whether it's the Hagia Sophia or another one, non-Muslims are always welcome in those places. They have to observe some sort of decorum and protocol, but that's universal. You can't just walk into, uh, you know, you can't just walk into a Burger King buck naked, right? We have different definitions of what is uh, clothing and what's not. We have different definitions for Burger King. It may be different for a courtroom in, uh, you know, in America. It may be different. So the definitions may change, but the idea is that there are protocols for coming into different spaces. As long as a person observes that protocol, man, woman, a person of any faith can enter into any of our places of worship in Turkey as Muslims, and nobody's going to say anything to them. Nobody's going to say, get out of here, you, you Kafir, you infidel. No, that's not how it works. People can come into the Hagia Sophia. It's not going to be like the Jamia Masjid of Qurtuba, which was by force turned into a cathedral, even though nobody wants to worship there anymore now that the Christians have the upper hand in that place because of Reconquista. If you open it up for the Muslims, watch how the Muslims will flock there and pray. And if you try praying two rak'at there, you're going to be escorted out by force. It's not like that in, in, in the Hagia Sophia. So this kind of weird, like internal, like heart attack people are having, like, oh my God, you're embarrassing at me in front of my non-Muslim friends, or uh, you know, somehow like this kind of misplaced uh, idea that 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 Muslims have this like sacred obligation to protest against the quote-unquote sacrilege of 
uh, of the Hagia Sophia being turned into a uh, turned into a masjid. It's not being turned into a masjid. In fact, and so I'm not a historian, so you don't have to take my word for it. Go ahead and research this. But what what we've been shown uh, is that actually, uh, even though he was not uh, obliged to do so, uh, the uh, Sultan Muhammad Fatih he uh, actually uh, paid the the Orthodox Patriarchate for uh, that uh, uh, cathedral church, which was out of use for a very long time, probably centuries. Uh, it was in complete decay uh, and it was out of use. Travelers would come and go and they would see that the building was falling apart. It was not maintained properly. And so he purchased it from them and he fixed it up. This is one thing people should remember uh, with regards to Constantinople. I mean, I know it's, it's like a, a bruise to the ego of Europe that uh, the you know, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, which out of the two capitals, Rome and Constantinople, for, you know, for, for over a thousand years was the more powerful of the two. It was a holy city for the Orthodox Church, and it remains a holy city for the Orthodox Church. So it's obviously it's painful. They're not going to be excited about Muslims taking it over and conquering it and living there. But interestingly enough, one of the things I see that Western historians do to console themselves in order to make their uh, civilization seem big and the civilization of the Muslims seem petty is what they say, well, the, one of the reasons that Sultan Muhammad Fatih was able to conquer Constantinople is it was already in decay. The entire city was in decay. It was something like a tenth of its original uh, population or a tenth of its population at its peak. The buildings were in decay. Um, the empire was nothing more than just a city-state of Constantinople. It was unable to defend itself, so it wasn't really that big or spectacular victory. Okay, that's fine. Great, wonderful, right? I mean, I've, I don't like wake up in the morning saying, how are the Muslims going to rub the noses of the Romans into the ground or whatever? What happened, happened. It's fine. But then listen to listen to those historians when they say that and look at it you know the, they call it constantinople right i'm not going to get it you can call it constantinople if you want to it's not a big deal the prophet himself called it constantinia right look at constantinople at the time that the uh, the sultan muhammad fatih took it over what did he do with it he he bought this old building which was completely de decrepit and falling apart and him and his descendants they populated it with worshippers. They built it up. They fixed it. They made it vibrant again. They made it something that another person would say, "Hey, we wish, uh, we wish, uh, you know, it was still a church." Otherwise, it wasn't a church. Not because the Muslims made it not a church. It wasn't functioning as a church because it was abandoned by the uh, uh, by the uh, Orthodox Christian state that was unable to. Uh, to make it function. Not just the Hagia Sophia, but the entire Constantinople. Literally, he, he drafted tribes, Turkic tribes from all over Anatolia and had them settle the different places of the city so that city that had become desolated and had become empty would become vibrant again. And look at Istanbul. From the time of Sultan Muhammad Fatih until this day, it's such a vibrant city. It's such a vibrant city. It's so packed and bustling filled with people. It's a lively city. It's somewhere a person, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, you know, pious and, you know, the alternative to piety alike. Everybody is like wowed by the city. Why? They made it into something. There's not a square inch of that city that you cannot find 
the Muslims invested into making that city something beautiful. That the Ottomans invested something into making that city beautiful. There are churches there, there are synagogues, there, there are all sorts of people coming and going. And what happened? The Muslims, they, you know, Sultan Muhammad Fatih, he actually paid money to the Orthodox Church and there's a deed of sale. And then as his personal property, he dedicated it as a waqf, as a masjid, and it cannot be revoked. Now someone might say, well, you know, his purchase was, uh, his purchase was under duress. You know, like they wouldn't have sold it to him if he didn't conquer the city. That's fine. That's fine. He wasn't obliged even to do that much, even to make that sale. Not by the law of the jungle, not by the law of humanism of doing to others what you would like to have done to yourself. Reciprocity, I should say. Nor by the law of Islam. But he did it. And one very interesting thing, and I'm going to conclude on this uh, on this point. Uh, we have the, mashallah, the, 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 the document in which uh, uh, Sultan Muhammad Fatih, you know, his waqf deed uh, was made. And it's written in beautiful handwriting. Uh, the last... Uh, uh, the last, you know, some of the last words in that in that document are uh, that, that endowment document are what? So this is a man, the righteousness to, of whom was attested to by the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he chartered that this building would be restored and then used as a as a masjid until the day of judgment, as all masajids are. He said, whoever, whoever attempts, whoever hustles and makes an attempt to undo uh, uh, the endowment of this place as a masjid, may Allah Ta'ala never accept from him, adlan wala sarfan, may Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala never accept from him any sort of plea for justice, nor uh, uh, any sort of uh, bargain on the Day of Judgment. May Allah, may Allah, basically it's, an, it's a, in the language of the Qur'an, it's an, a, 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 an invoking of a curse. Uh, on such a people, uh, and so the person who the Prophet said, "What a wonderful commander will that person be!" Don't shoot your mouth off on Facebook and on Twitter and like you know write articles and like you know whether you're the president of Isna or just some uh, person on uh, on social media. Don't shoot your mouth off trying to uh, uh, trying to uh, revoke the masjid status of that building which was forever it is forever a place of worship don't try to revoke that that status which is itself a sin and then thereafter also enter yourself into the curse of Sultan Muhammad Fatih uh, uh, which fell on the heads of people like Ataturk who, who did that who they, they revoked uh, or tried to undo uh, uh, the status of that place as a place of worship don't cast your lot with that camp. A, it's a sin, and plus, this is Sultan Muhammad Fatih himself, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, praised him. Don't voluntarily drag yourself underneath his curse. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us tawfiq. Uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us tawfiq. And, uh, you know, this is a, a message to our, uh, our brothers and sisters uh, for them to, to give heed and consideration. And uh, it's not there to rub, uh, you know, uh, the faces, the noses of the Christians into the ground. Trust me, if there's anyone who uh, has suffered humiliation in the last two centuries, uh, I'm pretty sure the Muslims have a greater uh, claim to stake in that. Um, these things happen, and uh, our future is not in having endless battles and endless wars. 
uh, or endless antagonism with one another. Come, if you love that place, if you uh, uh, love it for the sake of Allah, for the sake of God, as a Christian, as an Orthodox Christian, then know whether or not you have that building or that piece of land, you always have God. You always have Allah. Call upon Him by day and night, wherever you are in this world. And if you love to call upon Him in that building, welcome, come, go, kneel in that place, put your hands out in front of the Lord and ask Him for what you want. It's still a place of worship. His holy name can still be called in that place. Go and pray over there. If what you want is God, then He's there for you. If you, what you want is to call on God in that place, that those doors are open for you. May they be open for you until the day of judgment. But if this is just some sort of nationalist thing that like, oh, Greeks are better than Turks or whatever, this is all nonsense. You know, uh, you know if this is just some sort of nationalism based on a secular, modernist, uh, and materialist understanding, you know, two different types of monkey uh, trying to like beat each other up, this is a pointlessness of existence. There's no khair, there's no good in it. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us all guidance and give us all the tawfiq of living and dying in a way that uh, he's pleased with and returning to him in a way that he's pleased with. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ajma'in. Wa sallamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.